This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Food Factor Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Mudhachek, and I am so, so, so glad you are here. Today we are talking about stress. Stress is kind of a catch-all term that can mean multiple things. It could mean psychological stress, like you're fearing something. Um, You have a deadline or you have too many commitments. It could be physical stress, like you lifted a heavy thing and your muscles were stressed and now you're sore. Or you haven't been sleeping well, which puts your body in a state of stress. It comes in many forms. You probably have heard the term, though, stress is a killer. I know I had that in my mind that was imprinted on me long ago. And honestly, I didn't give it much thought. It just kind of like made sense. And I just kind of assumed... It was a fact. But is it? Have you questioned that? Now, I don't believe it is. I have some things to talk about today that may change your view on it as well. And side note, I'm not sitting here thinking like, yeah, stress is the answer. Let's go get some more stress. But how we view it may change. I've been doing a fair amount of research on the human stress response. It may sound boring to you, like who researches stress? Well, I do. And I do it so you don't have to. So let's talk about the basics of stress and the human body. Stress is needed for survival. Wait, what? How can something that supposedly kill us also be needed for survival? Well, it is. We have to be able to adapt to stressors in our environment in order to continue to survive. Could you imagine if you couldn't adapt and overcome, say, scraping your knee as a kid or the first time you were late for something, you simply just crumbled into a ball on the ground and that was it. Those are silly examples, of course, but these are stressors that your body overcomes and adapts to in order to learn how to survive a future event. This is why you don't sign up for a marathon and run it the next day without any training. You build upon the stressors for months sometimes in order to survive the race. Okay, so I wanna go over a few terms. They may or may not be helpful for you, but I always like to have you know some terms to kind of go from. When you adapt to stress, it's actually called allostasis, and it's actually a very important part of survival. Allostasis is the ability for you to go back to homeostasis, and homeostasis is when your body is in balance. Allostasis is when you can go back to that homeostatic point despite change. So an allostatic load, you may have heard that term, that is often talked about in strength training and and by personal trainers. It's your muscle's ability to adapt, or in this case, recruit new muscle fibers, adapt to that stressor in order to complete the workout. Some people think allostatic load refers to kind of the wear and tear on your body, but to me that's negatively looking at a very needed adaptive response. You can get to the point where your body hasn't yet adapted to a stressor, but allostatic load to me is not wear and tear. It's showing you the level you're currently at in responding to that stressor. So kind of glass half full. 
Anyways, when you walk outside in Minnesota, for example, in January, and it's 20 below zero, that's an immediate stressor. So your body increases your body heat to help adapt to that. When you walk outside Arizona in say August and it's 115, your body adapts to that. You start sweating. It helps to reduce the heat of your body. If your body didn't do that, if it didn't adapt to those stressors, your cells would freeze in that first example, and your cells or organs would die and degrade from the heat in that second example. So those are examples of physical stressors, physiological stressors, but there's also the mental or the psychological stressors. And those are really important and tied heavily to the person's perception of the event. If you interpret an event as bad, you're much more likely to release an internal stress response. People who interpret events in more of a constructive or a positive manner are less likely to cause an internal stress response. So basically saying how you frame an event or a stressor is a significant factor in the resulting effects of how that event will impact your internal response and environment. So let's talk quickly about what happens in the body in response to a stressor. I'm not an endocrinologist, so I'm not gonna dive too deeply into each hormone and receptor and all of that, but I do want to give you a general idea of what's going on. So think of your body in a state of homeostasis or in true balance. Everything is as it should be. Everything is in check, it's well rested, it's the perfect temperature, all of that. Now, a stressor comes along as they do regularly, whether it's a drop in temperature, whether it's an annoying neighbor, maybe it's a traffic jam, whatever. In response to this, your endocrine system releases certain hormones to bring your body back into balance. If your stressors and your body's response to stressors are chronic, remember, a a normal stress response is supposed to be relatively acute or short-lived. It's supposed to bring the body back into balance and kind of reset. You know, you see a bear, you fight or flee the bear, or, you know, the third option is freeze, but the bear leaves and the body goes back to normal function, short-term. But if you are faced with chronic stress, that response is the same and it doesn't get shut off. It doesn't get reset. In fact, there is a stat that around 77% of adults in the U.S. suffer physical consequences from chronic stress. And that's according to the American Institute of Stress. There is an Institute of Stress. I find that really fascinating that it is such a problem. There is an American Institute of Stress. So 77% of adults in the U.S. suffer physical consequences from chronic stress. That's huge. That is huge. I'm actually very impressed that 22% of Americans don't suffer physical consequences from stress. I'd like to talk to those people and see what they're doing. But anyways, so in your body, when there is a perceived threat, there is a complex, kind of depending on how you perceive it, system called the HPA axis. This stands for hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. Your hypothalamus in your brain interprets a threat. It releases hormones to tell the pituitary gland, also in your brain, to release other hormones that are stored there to signal to the adrenal glands, which sit on your kidneys, to release cortisol and epinephrine. 
those are considered part of the fight or flight system, right? That is the hormone that will kick you into gear to fight or flee something. You've probably heard of these hormones. Epinephrine is also called adrenaline. Think adrenal from the adrenal glands. Not that you probably ever need to know that, but tuck that away for trivia night or if you're over on Jeopardy. These are what are called stress response hormones. Cells in the body have receptors for them. When cortisol and epinephrine or adrenaline are released into the bloodstream because of a trigger of a stressor, they now bind to different cells all over the body in order to cause an effect on that cell or organ. It causes your heart to beat faster, uh, to supply more blood to the muscles and extremities so you can run. It signals the uptake of glucose from the blood into the muscles so you're able to run or fight. It signals for the creation of glucose. If your blood is low on glucose and, and your brain needs fuel or your muscles need more to run or, or fight, it signals the creation of glucose. If you have chronic stress, this response doesn't shut off as it should, like we mentioned. It results in elevated cortisol secretions, which is not what you want. Frankly put, it's too much of a good thing. In the short term, yes, cortisol is needed. In fact, you would die without it. But constantly having cortisol present results in imbalances within that HPA access. It causes higher glucose or blood sugar. It causes insulin resistance because if your glucose is constantly high, insulin is trying to get it all in the cell and eventually your cells stop listening and you become resistant to it, which of course can lead to diabetes. That insulin resistance is a big problem right now. It leads to immune system suppression, digestive suppression, nervous system dysfunction, sleep issues. The list goes on and on. Uh, also reproductive issues. So anyways, you get the point. One interesting side effect though, that may resonate with you, that when I was doing my research, I found this incredibly like a light bulb moment. When we have elevated cortisol levels chronically, it has been associated with a measurable decline in cognitive function, specifically verbal and memory. When I read that, I was like, ding, click, light bulb, yep. Have you ever been so frazzled or upset about something and you try to call out a kid's name only to call them everything, including the dog? Or have you been late to drive some, somewhere and you missed the exit because you were so stressed out and, and you weren't thinking? Or, or have you been rushing the kids out the door in the morning and they're so frantic that you forget their lunch um, or their shoes? This literally happened to me a few weeks ago with my four-year-old. Thank you, lost and found bin. <laughs> Nothing like starting your Monday off by pulling up to the school and saying, yeah, he's not wearing shoes. You know, proud parenting moment right there. But that's the impact that stress hormones have on you. We've talked about brain fog before in relation to your gut health, but this is another layer and a connected layer at that. Chronic stress shunts digestive activity. What's one contributor to brain fog? Poor digestion and microbiome imbalances. So there's a connection there. Now, there's also a concept that too much cortisol chronically from stressors results in a dysfunction of the HPA axis and results in too low of cortisol output. So basically the body doesn't produce enough cortisol because it has produced so much for so long. This can show up as one of the ways that depression can manifest. Also chronic fatigue syndrome, among other things, are kind of impacted by that. This doesn't happen for everybody, but there is a subgroup of people that were chronically stressed and it actually caused the lowering of cortisol in their body. Um, and, and again, cortisol is so necessary for many functions. It helps wake us up in the morning. 
Um, so if this resonates with you, please, please, please reach out to your endocrinologist or, or talk with your doctor um, to try and bring that back into balance. I'll also go over a few nutritional things in a minute that you can do. Um, and there's also some herbal things that are have been shown to be impactful. But have I freaked you out yet? By talking about all the ways that stress hormones impact your body in a negative way, has this caused you to release a bunch of stress hormones? I hope not, because there's a lot you can do when it comes to prevention and regulation of your own stress hormones. And I want to talk about three specific things. So thing number one, positive thinking. Now, am I saying that simply having a happy thought will cure all your health issues? Yes, kind of. A threat is only a threat if you perceive it as a threat, right? The stress response won't be as strong if you don't perceive something as a stressor. If I saw a snake in the grass next to me versus my sister, who is completely and utterly terrified of snakes, saw a snake in the grass next to her, I'd likely have a quick response like, oh, hey there, whoa, I wasn't expecting you. Whereas she may have a more intensive response that could become chronic if she keeps thinking about it and has nightmares about it. If your attitude about traffic, for example, is this is the worst, I'm going to be late, I blame the kids, I blame this crowded community, I hate traffic, that guy looks stupid over there in his dumb car, versus thinking, well, looks like I'm going to be here for a while, I'll catch up on my podcast, I'll use this time to meditate, I'll finally book a vacation, this gives me the chance to call my friend. Which one of those people is having cortisol dumped into their system, right? It's the first one. One more traffic example, and I find this one so funny, and I wanted to share this, um, but it never really fit in any of the podcasts. So I want to share it now. So another example of traffic that actually my husband told me about, he read it on, I think, um, Reddit. He saw it on Reddit. When someone cuts you off in traffic, or they have, you know, impatiently blown past you or around you on the highway, it's so easy to think, what a jerk. Who do they think they are? They're probably distracted or on their phone or he's going to cause an accident, whatever. What someone offered on Reddit was something to the effect of anytime that happens, this particular person would just think, man, that guy must really have to poop. <laughs> I hope he makes it. You know, I think it was more imagine him saying to himself, got to poop, got to poop, got to poop. But you get the idea, a complete shift in your thinking. And now him and I both do that. Anytime somebody blows past us on the highway, we're like, oh, that guy's got to poop. And it just, it's something, it's its funny to us. It makes us in a better mood. It totally takes away the stress and the downward spiral that we can start thinking of, of other things. And, and it just causes this cascade. So try that out next time. Just think of that person having to go poop. Okay, thing number two that can help in the prevention and regulation of your own stress response. Support. There have been studies done on how the perception of support, again, perception of support. So if you have a support system that is amazing and yet you look at it as a burden or you don't see them as supportive, it's not going to work. The perception of support from an individual or a community improves your stress response and actually lowers stress hormones. There was a fascinating study done on people undergoing cataract surgery. Essentially, they measured the stress hormones in the patient's body during surgery and found that hand-holding or literally a nurse holding a patient's hand during surgery. Remember, during cataract surgery, you're sedated, you're not put under. So having a nurse literally hold a patient's hand during surgery significantly lowered anxiety as well as epinephrine levels in the blood. 
This shows the importance and the impact of having someone or something for emotional support. Arguably, this is why loneliness could be such a killer in our society, but that's a whole nother topic. So support. Number three would be nutrition. You know I had to throw this in here. This is my sweet spot. It's my bread and butter. All right, nutrition is a huge, it plays a huge role. Studies show your stress response can be modified by your diet. If you eat a lot of processed foods, you know, fast foods, refined carbs and sugars, artificial ingredients, colors, artificial flavors, chemicals, it's actually a stressor on your body and it increases the release of stress hormones such as cortisol. In fact, refined sugar intake, so eating a lot of things that are, you know, sugary foods, drinking sugary drinks, eating candy, sugary cereals, it amplifies the cortisol response to stress. So if you happen to have a bowl of sugary cereal washed down with some sweet tea with all this other sugar, and then you went and got stuck in traffic, your stress response would be amplified. Your cortisol release response would be amplified. Can you see how the stress response and the emotional eating response to stress keeps you in a vicious cycle? For those of you who label themselves as an emotional eater, and you're also caught in a higher stress response cycle, can you see how that can turn into a perfect storm pretty quickly? It's physiology. Now, on the flip side, a diet that includes fish, for example, decreases secretion of epinephrine and specifically DHA, which is one of those, uh, the healthy components found in fish, specifically DHA, that's in high, high amounts in fish and fish oil has actually been found to decrease, decrease stress-induced epinephrine response. Vitamin C is also incredibly important in moderating, moderating the stress response. Now, does that mean you should just pop a fish oil in a vitamin C supplement? I mean, maybe, but first, let's focus on raising your levels of foods with those in them. Salmon with lemon squeezed over it, for example, perfect. Bright colored fruits and veggies, specifically the reds, the yellows, and the orange things can really be supportive. Focus on increasing those regularly in your diet while also lowering sugars and chemicals. That would be an excellent place to start. Okay, so bringing things back around. Is stress a killer? No. A stressor is a stressor. How you perceive the stressor has the potential for damaging health effects. I have another example because I find storytelling and example telling very, very helpful in the learning process. So have you ever seen the, the episode of The Office? Any Office fans? The episode of The Office where Stanley has a heart attack. He comes back to work and wears a heart rate monitor, remember? Because his doctor wanted him to keep his heart rate and his stress down. Every time Michael, his boss, gets close to him, the watch would beep. If Michael walked away, it would stop beeping. Of course, this is an absurd example, but it shows my point. How Stanley views Michael or interprets Michael causes the release of an internal stress response. In this case, his heart rate went up. It's not Michael himself. It's the perception of Michael through Stanley's eyes. Michael's not reaching into Stanley and pumping his heart faster for him or releasing cortisol for him. Stanley's interpretation of the situation is doing that. Now, what would happen if Stanley simply started viewing Michael in a different way? 
What if Stanley now thought of Michael as an incredible, amazing, positive, funny person who he enjoyed being around? Would that stress response be the same? Most likely not. It's the same two people, different interpretation, different response. And if you don't watch The Office, I apologize. That probably went right over your head, but you can probably pick up on the messaging there. So the blanket statement health advice is always lower your stress. I'd like to argue that you don't need to lower your stress. You need to improve your response to it or your perception of it. Stressors aren't always within our control. In fact, they rarely are within our control, but you have all the control in how you respond to it and how we arm our body with the nutrients and tools to adapt or respond to it. And that is in our control. So the question I have for you, how will you improve your stress response? Maybe write down a list of stressors you have, mental stress, physical stress, and list three ways to look at each stressor in a positive way. Choose one of those ways that feels the best for you and do that or think of that the next time that stressor presents itself. And then go out and get yourself some veggies in all of the colors of the rainbow. So if you have questions or comments on this episode, or if you found it helpful, please share it and tag me on Instagram or Facebook. I'd love to connect with you about it. You can find my socials in the show notes, but it's also at Food Factor Nutrition on both uh, platforms. Let me know what resonated most with you. I'd love to hear your comments and feedback. And I hope you have a wonderful and restful rest of the week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Food Factor Podcast. It is my personal mission to help people make the best food choices that they can for their particular situation. So if you found this episode helpful, I would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend or a family member or somebody who needs to hear this information and also leave me a review. Those are the things that help get this podcast seen and heard by more people who could use the help as well. I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening.